Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, uh, where we are given the opportunity to reflect into the richness of the gospel text. And this Sunday is the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time, so we will continue our reflections into the Gospel of Luke. We are starting the Gospel of Luke, and I want to take the time to uh, welcome all of you listeners who are tuning in by way of podcast. I know yesterday evening I had noted some countries who have been listening, and I realized that I have failed to welcome all of you who are tuning in um, within the United States. And so I want to uh, include you <laughs> in that welcome. Certainly, it really is an honor for me that you are taking 25 to 30 minutes out of your busy schedules uh, to listen to uh, Seeds of Truth Radio. It really is an honor. And I am excited this evening to bring back Debbie Rosales. I know she has been away for some weeks. So, Debbie, great to have you with me another evening. It's great to be here. So, as I just said, Debbie, we are in the fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time, uh, which has us continuing our reflection into uh, Jesus in the synagogue and what's going on there in the synagogue. So, if you can get us going there uh, sure. with that reading. It's Luke 4, 21 through 30. Jesus began speaking in the synagogue, saying, Today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They also asked, Isn't this the son of Joseph? He said to them, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, cure yourself, and say, Do here in your native place the things that we have heard were done in Capernaum, and he said, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went away. Amen. You know, that question, Debbie, is not this Joseph's son. You know, we hear Christ say what? Today in your hearing, scriptures are fulfilled. Now, on one level, I get it. Is this not Joseph's son? Their expectation of the coming of the Messiah was more about him coming down on chariots, mm -hmm, right? Right. Not this very simple man. But there's something else here, Debbie, that we were talking about before we came on air. And that is, these are Nazarenes. Mm -hmm. These are men who should have known him, mm -hmm. right? Right. I mean, for 30 years, for 30 years, God lived in this anonymity. Mm -hmm. And what's so striking to me, and I think it can be easily overlooked, Debbie, is that Christ is, yes, fully divine. Mm -hmm. 
but he is also fully human. human. Mm -hmm. So he was exercising human virtues. The one virtue that really stood out to me was the virtue of silence. Why? Well, let's think about it. What is silence? Yes, silence in its noun form is the absence of noise. Mm. But silence is also a verb. And when you speak to silence as a verb, you speak to it as a virtue. Because silence is a virtue. When we have the capacity to speak, when we have the capacity to say something, and when we want to say something, and God says to us, no, be still, be quiet. Now is not the time. So many times I am told, Joe, you have to speak to this. Joe, you have to speak to that. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Is that what you think? <laughs> what about Jesus Christ, who, yes, fully human and fully divine, the God-man, <laughs> who certainly would have wanted to let the world know who he was because we know he knew who he was, <laughs> and yet he remained silent for 30 years, an extraordinary discipline in the virtue of silence. So just because we've been given insight to something doesn't mean we should speak to it. Mm -hmm. As much as we should seek to better understand that insight, when to speak to it, right? right? Jesus Christ disciplined himself in such a way for 30 years that he knew when that, that right time was. And I reflect into this because... It's a powerful, powerful thing when you put it in today's context in our everyday situations. Because how many times, Debbie, do we want to jump in? How many times do we want to chime in on a conversation? I am one of 11 kids. And when you grow up in a family of 13, there's not a lot of dead air time, if you will. No. And you want your voice heard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you want your voice heard. So silence is a difficult thing. Because boy, if there's any silence, you're going to make your voice heard. Mm -hmm. And so when I was reflecting with this, I was really made to reflect with the virtue of silence, which is really that movement of both heart and mind to not speak when you might be thinking it's the right time to speak. And in light of the not speaking, we are made to discern when to speak. Very important. You know, it reminds me of um, the spiritual exercises. St. Ignatius speaks to docility of spirit so that one can discern the spirits, mm. just, just discern. Yes. And I think yes. that's what you're speaking to. Without a docility of our spirit, without some kind of discipline over our flesh, which is what this is, mm -hmm. you know, not speaking when we could speak and uh, discerning when to speak, maybe when it's not popular, like yes. Jesus is yes. doing right now. Yes, yes. Is, is a huge discernment exercise. It really is. It really is. And isn't it interesting, Debbie, that the word discipline and the word discern or discernment have the same uh, Latin root. Right. Which essentially means to come to understand. If you're going to discern a situation, what is caught up in that discernment has to be some form of discipline. Mm -hmm. Or otherwise, you're not going to be made to understand it for what it is. So discipline and discernment go hand in hand. And you just said something, Debbie, that's very important. For everything that we are talking about right now, it doesn't mean that we remain silent when we should speak, okay? True. Because there is a time when we ought to speak. Mm -hmm. You and I were reflecting a little bit earlier. On a level, every Christian and Catholic is challenged with this. Absolutely. When to say something and when not to say mm -hmm. something. It really is a fine line. Mm -hmm. And this is a line 
we need to discern each and every day. I remember I was giving a talk uh, some weeks ago, and we were talking about this, and I said, really, this whole topic about when to say something or when not to say something ought to challenge every Christian and every Catholic to be a better human being because it never stops. We find ourselves in conversations every day where we should be asking that question. How do I engage this person? How do, we, how do I engage that person? What should I say or what shouldn't I say? It never stops. And so God really challenges us to enter into this, as Pope Francis would call it, art of listening so as to speak better. We listen more to speak better. And that's really um, what this is about. I mean, our Lord spent his first 30 years listening. Mm -hmm. What do we read at the end of chapter 2 in the Gospel of Luke? That he was um, obedient mm -hmm. and he grew in wisdom and stature. What does the word obedience mean? To listen. Obadire. He grew in wisdom and stature because he was obedient, because he listened to, yes, his earthly mother and father, but also his heavenly father. And as such, he gives us the model par excellence into how to discern something, specifically when to speak and when not to speak. This is more pertinent than ever before. You know, we all have uh, social media in the palm of our hands. And, and I came across a pretty fascinating uh, study from a child psychologist. Her name was Ekaterina Mershashova. Say that five times. Yeah, fast. say that. <laughs> yes. Um, and she chose 68 teenagers, 12 to 18, and challenged them with this study of silence. Could they be silent? So she challenged them to take, put away all social media, including television, radio, no interaction with anyone else for eight hours. Guess how many made it? Mm. One girl, two boys. Mm out of 68. And some of the things that she said were quite surprising as she had the kids, even the ones who dropped out early, write down what was happening during this time. Why did you have to drop out of the study and what was going on? Five of them had full-on panic attacks. Mm. Nearly half of them experienced physical uh, nausea, dizziness, abdominal pain, headache, a physical manifestation. They all said they felt like withdrawal, a withdrawal from um, all of this. Every single participant mentioned fear and anxiety. Mm. We are uncomfortable with silence. Yeah. It seems unnatural to us today. Wow. Telling. And you know, folks, adults, don't think you're so smug. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I challenge you to try that. Yeah, 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 you know? Yeah. I was I, thinking about that when we were talking yeah, earlier, Debbie. I think adults would have the same difficulty. Mm -hmm. I shared with Joe, I, ha I use um, my giving up of social media for a certain period of time as an offering of love. And, and I am constantly surprised how often I reach for my phone. And then yeah. the Holy Spirit go, are you on your phone? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, isn't it fascinating too, Debbie, when you talk about offering with the very practical, what sacrifice actually means, so sacrum fice, to make holy, mm -hmm. to offer something that we are so attached to, Yes, has a way of literally speaking, <clears throat> make us more holy. Mm -hmm. You know, I extracting our, the attachments we have to the adversary, these these idols. Yes. You, know, you, you were saying, Debbie, um, we are uncomfortable with silence. I think we are uncomfortable with silence because we are uncomfortable with who we are. Yeah. You know, we are uncomfortable with self. 
And the only way we are going to begin the process of gradually transforming in Christ, Debbie, is understanding that we are sinners. We have to grapple with our sinfulness and be contrite and resolved to change our ways. Suddenly, silence is more possible. Mm. But in the technology, in the noise, what do we do? We drown out that reason mm. that God has given us so as to better understand who we are and where we are going. Now, you talked about the nausea. You talked about the physical manifestation, and I could not help but think of the importance of understanding the unity of body and soul. Yes. Right? There is a profound yes. unity there, and we need to pay close attention to that. Uh, pay close attention to that. And what do I mean? Well, there is a sacramentality to our body, if you will. This is mm. a great theme mm. of John Paul II in Theology yes. of the Body. And I don't want to divert too far from our subject matter, but this is an important point, Debbie. What do I mean by a sacramentality to our body? Well, let's think about this. The only way I know of an emotion that you're experiencing is how it manifests itself. Right. And oh, be rest assured, it will manifest itself. Mm -hmm. If you are sad, you will cry. If you are happy, uh, you will laugh. If you are embarrassed, you will blush. You see, there is an outward expression of this kind of interior emotion that while we don't see, we do see. And it speaks to the unity of body and soul. And again, I speak to all of this because when we go dormant, when we go silent, mm -hmm. what is really going on there when there are all of these physical manifestations? God is getting our attention and he says, give to me all of these worries, these fears, Give them to me. You said it. Offer them to me. Allow me to perform my wonders. And this is really <laughs> what the Christian life is all about. We can even circle back to our gospel on this note, Debbie. Why were the Nazarenes so disappointed? Yeah. I mean, it would be easy to overlook, but at the beginning of the gospel, they were excited. Right. right? Yeah. They were excited. They were like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Such gracious words. <laughs> Such gracious words. Well, I love that line. They, yeah, I, I do too. They had heard about his great works. Sure they had. And hey, he's the hometown guy, yeah. so certainly he's going to perform his magic tricks for us. Uh -huh. We are all about the great signs, the great miracles. We want to see this. And then when he doesn't perform them, oh man, how quickly they turn, Debbie. Mm. And I have to ask the question, how often does that happen in our own life? Mm -hmm. How often do we get excited about what we think God is going to do to not only be disappointed, but then resentful? Mm -hmm. What you have going on in today's gospel, I think is a classic case of what happens to us psychologically when we place expectation into something or someone, Debbie. Because on the other side of expectation is disappointment. Yep. But worse yet, what's on the other side of disappointment is resentment. Mm -hmm. Bitterness. Well, what was the word? Wrath and fury. Yeah, those are strong words. Very strong words. And actually in the Greek, much stronger than we have sure. in English. I mean, wrath and fury. They wanted to stone him to they death. They want to kill him. Yes, think about that. Oh, we're so, we're so excited to see you, Jesus. Yeah. We're so excited that you've come to be amongst your hometown crew. Yeah. And at the drop of a dime, at the drop of a dime. And oh, guess what, Debbie? He saw right through it. Oh, yeah, he did. He saw right through it. I mean, when you read these verses, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and all spoke well of him, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? Something was going on there. 
In that moment in time, something was going on there because what does he say? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. He saw what was in their heart and mind. Mm-hmm. And so he says, the new covenant life is not about the externals. The new covenant life is not about the signs, the miracles. Yes, I perform them, but I perform them for the Gentile. Why does he bring in Elijah and Elisha? Right. Well, because Elijah and Elisha were ministering to those outside of the Israelite kingdom. Yes, he was, they were. They were ministering to, that is Elijah and Elisha, to the Gentile nation. Mm-hmm. And Jesus wants us to understand that he has come for the Gentile nation. He will perform miracles for them, but the greater miracle will be the revelation of the law that he will imprint upon their heart. And they just weren't getting it. Mm-mm. They just weren't getting it. You know what's fascinating about this, Debbie? The word Nazareth in the Hebrew literally translates as branch. Now, we have spoken on a number of occasions to the importance of a word and or a name. And behind that word or name, there's something to be had in sacred scripture because it speaks to a kind of foreordained purpose, a foreordained intention. The word Nazareth literally means branch. Well, why is that word so important in sacred scripture? Well, what was the most important prophecy in all of the Old Testament but Isaiah 11? Well, what is in Isaiah 11? When a shoot, a branch, will come forth from Jesse's tree. Who is Jesse? Of course, the father to Saul, and then, of course, Saul the father to David. And, of course, we know Jesus to be in that pedigree. So this was all very important. This is why at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew establishes from the outset that Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham, Mm -hmm. the son of David. No one caught that. And if someone did, it wasn't recorded. Interesting, interesting footnote that that would have been missed. Now, for all of that being said, there are other important verses here, Debbie. I mean, go to verse 24. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. Now, certainly in speaking to this, he enrolls himself in the list of all of the great prophets. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of the great prophets find their path to Jesus Christ, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But he speaks to this because he does want us to start thinking about the meaning of a prophet. And what is a prophet? Well, in the Hebrew, the word prophet literally translates as mouth. Okay, mouth. The prophet was God's messenger, yes, but God's mouthpiece. In point of fact, the great prophets were called God's big mouths, if you will. God's big <laughs> mouth. And oh, by the way, by way of footnote, the phrase, don't be a bad mouth, in its origin comes from this very idea. Don't be a bad mouth because you're a big mouth because <laughs> the message you are preaching, I don't like. Mm-hmm. That's the origin there. And certainly we can begin to appreciate what a prophet is. The prophet tells us God's mind. The prophet tells us God's mind. And for that reason, you will never find any one prophet that is popular. In fact, popular prophet is really a contradiction in terms. (laughs) We can be unpopular and not a prophet, but if you are a prophet, you are unpopular, Mm -hmm. right? This is what it means to be a prophet, to tell God's mind. And God's mind is not going to be popular. Because God's word goes against the grain. God's word goes against the world. God's word reveals to us how we ought to live. And, you know, let's look at that a little bit. You know, we have Naaman, the uh, Syrian, a Gentile, who is cleansed in the River Jordan 
through the waters of the Jordan. And of course, that's supposed to prefigure mm. our own cleansing of our own leprosy of sin through the waters of baptism. We're regenerated. And we're called in to share the ministry and mission of Christ as priest, prophet, and king. Mm. So who's the prophet for you, for me? Mm. Who is the prophet for you in your life? I, I wish we could say every Christian we know, it helps us to um, see truth in a new way, helps us to have um, self-knowledge. You know, when we do that for one another, it helps someone to have a little glimpse of their own um, true identity in Christ. So who are our prophets today? Mm. Who's not very Who's not very popular? Who has the target on his chest? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I can think of several, but yeah. um, for sure, Pope Francis. And I got to tell you, our church is the first one to put the uh, bullseye on him. Yeah. And he, very simply, is showing us in action the heart of God. Yeah. Amen. Well, what was our gospel reading last week, Debbie? And what was the message of right. Pope Francis? We were born to imitate Christ as best as we possibly can in his grace, which means we are to do what Christ did in its most simple form, which means we are to go to the margins and evangelize the poor. This is our first mission, he says. Mm -hmm. This is what the new evangelization is about, to live as Christ lived when he was here on earth. And what was he doing but bringing the good news to the poorest of the poor? So this was his message. And in this context, yes, Debbie, he is a prophet. Mm -hmm. And it is no coincidence that he named himself after St. Francis of Assisi. Right. I was looking over at my bookshelf today, and I thought, hmm, because there in the far left corner of my bookshelf is a three-volume set of St. Francis of Assisi that I haven't oh, looked in a while. Wow. It's broken down in, uh, as I just said, three volumes. The first is St. Francis, the saint. The second is St. Francis, the founder. The third is, and oh, by the way, the largest volume, St. Francis, the prophet. Oh, wow. St. Francis, Beautiful. the prophet. Why do I bring this up? Well, why was St. Francis a prophet? We must remember that first encounter that St. Francis of Assisi had with the Pope when he went to Rome seeking affirmation for this new religious life, this new religious order, and they turned him away. Mm -hmm. But what was their contention? They had never seen this before. <laughs> a man lived for Christ so radically. Mm -hmm. And so they called St. Francis back. He got the uh, stamp of approval from the Pope and, well, arguably the most famous saint of all time, yes. inside and outside of mm -hmm. Catholic Church. Yes. And why? <laughs> well, because of his love for just not the poor, but all of creation itself. Right. All of creation itself. And so for Pope Francis to be called a prophet in the light of who this man, St. Francis of Assisi, is, very much fits because he is a prophet for the poor. And be rest assured, this is not against his predecessors. This is not against Benedict XVI or John Paul II. In point of fact, his pontificate is very much in continuity with his predecessors, bringing to life the new evangelization. Yes. In so many ways, we can see these three pontificates within those moral virtues of hope, faith, and love. And the progression of evangelization itself, Debbie, is realized in those three virtues. And it really is incarnated in this man. Yes. And so Pope Francis, imitating 
his patron, St. Francis of Assisi, wishes to incarnate the person of Jesus Christ wherever he goes. And so he resounds not only the message of St. Francis of Assisi with his very life, but Jesus Christ himself. Mm -hmm. And in this way, he's going to make us uncomfortable, Catholics and non-Catholics. All I can do is encourage people to just take a deep breath, read him, and Mm -hmm. if he makes you feel uncomfortable, ask the question why. I get, in a manner of speaking, why it's difficult, because he might not speak with the clarity that his predecessors did. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't equate... Um, heresy right. of any kind. Just say that. He is a man who has a heart for the poor. Mm-hmm. Is he a sinner? We're all sinners, mm-hmm. right? Um, could he be more clear? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But in the end, in the end, it doesn't take away from the way in which he's a prophet for the poor and the way he resounds, echoes the very life of Christ. As we are uh, entering this year of mercy, thank you, Pope Francis, mm. for this incredible mm. gift. He is showing us mercy with skin on. In true merciful fashion, he is going out to the, to the far reaches of humanity and, and loving and um, challenging. Yes, I'm so glad you said, you know, if he makes you uncomfortable, ask yourself why. How receptive are we to have ourselves challenged a little bit, to be outside the box a little bit? Yeah, and right now, Debbie, I'm raising my hand mm-hmm. because um, what I'm speaking to, I have to live. Because Pope Francis challenges me. What did we start this program with? Simplicity. Silence. Silence. Let us go there so as to better understand how God wants to speak to us today. St. Paul says that the gift of prophecy is number one, numero uno. It ranks first in the spiritual gifts that build up the church. Why? Because prophecy tells us the mind of God. And in so doing, helps us to go deeper into how we are called to live and share in the very life of Christ and ultimately do His will. The process of edification for the church is that three-step process. Know God's mind, which the prophets help us with, right? To then share in His very life, to then do His will. That's why it's the greatest spiritual gift, because of the way in which it edifies and gives direction to uh, the church. Okay, Debbie, I'm looking up at the clock, Mm -hmm. and I do think we are out of time. I had scribbled down a lot of notes uh, to talk about, and we covered, oh, a few of them. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. Praise God for our prophets. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Help me to have a docile spirit. Mm. And I would just kind of close by dovetailing the question you asked earlier. Who is the prophet in your life? Mm I think we have to ask that question. Yes, globally, universally, in our our Pope and maybe cardinals and bishops and how they speak out against the world. Yeah. But what about in your own local community? Mm -hmm. I want to leave our listening audience with that question. Who is the prophet in your local community? And let me add a second question. How is God calling you to be a prophet in your local community? You said it. In our baptism, we are incorporated into the very life of Christ in which we share in this priestly, prophetic, and kingly office. How are you sharing in Christ's prophetic office? How are you sharing as Christ's mouthpiece here on earth? Important questions I think we need to be asking, especially, Debbie, in the year 2016. We need to be voices crying in the wilderness, heralds of, of truth for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen to that.
Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.